Hey, Clay, this is John King, the crappie hippie, your tree-hugging redneck from eastern Kansas and Lure Love podcast host, wishing you and Fish Nerds a happy 300th episode. We'll drop a link to the Fish Nerds podcast in the show notes. Lure Love, I can't get enough. Got a space in my tackle box, just got to fill it up. Lure love, I can't ever stop. Don't got a basement, got an underground tackle shop. I am Lucy, the Lorematic computer. Welcome to the Lure Love podcast with your hosts, John, Crappy Hippie King, and Tim, Tacklebox Beat. John, Lucy, I have a problem and I need your advice. What'd you do? Get a lure stuck in your nose? No, but after our last episode, I was tempted to see how far a five-inch daredevil would go up a nostril, but sense prevailed and I did not attempt it. I calculate that with five pounds of thrust, the entire spoon would fit inside your nostril. Let's keep that concept on a theoretical level for now. It sounds way too painful. Okay, Bob, bro. So what is the problem you have? John, we've talked about the importance of matching your rod and reel to the lures you're using. Well, I had a problem. Often the vintage lures I buy are large and heavy. And sometimes I see these new lures like large swim baits that I'd like to test, but they're large and heavy too. Oh, yeah. We just got those uh, Sabeel style swim baits from Berkeley. They sent us a one and five eighths ounce. So you're looking at something that's going to chuck those kind of lures, I guess. Go ahead. Go on. Tell us about it. Well, I have four main freshwater rods, three are spinning rods, and one's a bait casting rod. At least you can count to four. My ultralight rod is a seven-foot Daiwa Presso that handles two to six-pound test line and lures from one thirty-second ounce to a quarter ounce. That's a good choice for ultralight fishing. Yep. It is. And my next rod is a six foot St. Croix light rod. And that handles four to eight pound tests and lures from one sixteenth ounce to five sixteenth ounce. Okay. So you can cast lures that are a little bit heavier and catch fish that are a bit bigger. Only one sixteenth of an ounce heavier. True. My heaviest spinning rod is a seven foot ugly stick light graphite. And that handles six to 14 pound test line and lures from a quarter ounce to five eighths ounce. So now you've got rods that can handle all the way from a one thirty-second ounce up to a five-eighth ounce lure. That's a real nice range. Yeah, I think it is. Once you get to a half ounce, though, I personally prefer a bait casting rod. So I have a St. Croix seven-foot Mojo Bass bait casting rod that handles 10 to 17-pound tests and lures from a quarter to five-eighths ounce. Isn't that the same lower range as your ugly stick spinning rod? Yeah, it is the same as the ugly stick spinning rod. But if I'm fishing a spinner bait or a chatter bait or a topwater lure, I just like the feel of a bait caster better. A typical, fickle, human preference. So I have rods that handle lures from one thirty-second ounce to five-eighths ounce. What I needed was a heavyweight rod. So I just bought a St. Croix seven-foot-four-inch heavy Mojo Bass Slop and Frog Swim Jig Rod that handles 14 to 25-pound test line and lures from three-eighths ounce to one-and-a-half ounces. Wow. One-and-a-half ounces. That's a big honking lure, bro. So now I have five rods, 
that can fish lures from one thirty-second ounce to one and a half ounce. And that's really a huge range. So I took the new heavy rod out to the test pond and I put on a half ounce Z-Man chatterbait. What a difference in the lure feel and retrieval. That extra stiffness, it just, it fires it up. It kicks it up a notch. Well, I hear that loud and clear, but the real question is, did you catch anything? Yeah, so I'm reeling in the chatterbait. And then, you know, one of the things I love about these chatterbaits is they give off that electric vibrating hum. It's just, it's just, it really does feel electric to me. Like you're about to get shocked by a bolt of lightning coming from the water. I just felt like I had better control of the lure with a heavy rod and I'm reeling it in. And then that electric hum just stopped in the middle of my retrieve. Shake and bake, baby. You know it, Lucy. When that chatter blade stops vibrating, it is time to set the hook. Fish on, you know, with a lighter rod, I don't think I would have noticed the vibration stopping as much because when I fish those heavier lures on a lighter rod, sometimes the rod is bending, you know, the, the tip and it's absorbing a lot of that vibration and you're more focused on the rod than the lure. So this chatterbait's coming in, it's just humming along and all of a sudden there's nothing there because it was in that bass's mouth and I just set the hook and he was on, game on. And setting the hook with a large lure with a heavy rod is simply wonderful. I cross that bass's eyes. Is that good? To cross a bass's eyes? Oh, it's a feeling like no other, Lucy. But Tim, it sounds like everything is fine. You got a new rod. You can fish your heavier lure. So I don't see the problem yet. Well, here's the problem, John. You know that duck lure that I bought for muskies? Oh, yeah. The one with the little spinning feet? Yep, that's the one. Well... I thought I could fish it on this rod, but then I weighed it. That lure is two and a quarter ounces. So should I get an even heavier freshwater rod or should I fish it with one of my light saltwater rods? I have a light saltwater spinning rod that could fish that. So that's my question and my dilemma. Do I get yet one more heavier rod just for those lures that are really big over one and a half ounces? Or should I just go with that light saltwater spinning rod? Well, here's what I think. I mean, if you've got just one or two or a half dozen lures, I just stick with that light saltwater rod and at least try it out and see if that is satisfactory. Because uh, you got to look at how many lures you're going to fish, and that adds up to how much time you're going to spend fishing them and how many opportunities you know you have and all that stuff. But on the other hand, having that exact rod that gives that exact perfect feel, a lot of anglers pursue that religiously so i don't know what camp you fall in you know me i'm the garage sale guy i'm the budget fishing guy i'm the guy that's going to try that light saltwater rod first but honest to goodness if it really isn't delivering the satisfaction you know you think it ought to i know you you're going to go ahead but i say and get something else but i say try that saltwater rod first well you're exactly right john there aren't many lures that i'm going to fish that are over one and a half ounces in fresh water there just aren't. I, you know, they just don't make that many unless you're really looking at some of those big musky spinners. And even some of those are at, at one and a half. You and I both fish from shore even more than from a boat. And it's one of those things I realize if I had a bass boat, I would have 15 different bait casting rods all rigged up for different uses. But you don't, when you're fishing from the shore, you don't take those. So I'm looking for, you know, one, maybe two rods. You maybe leave one in the car when I go out. So I'm always looking for those more versatile rods. That's why I have the ones that I had. And when I go out, I'm either taking the ultralight rod out and that's how I'm fishing for that day. Cause I'm, you know, up to my waist in water in a river 
and I don't have the other one. So I have to decide before I go out what's going to be best. Now, I did buy a kayak, so that's going to allow me to take two to three rods out. And I'm ex- really excited about that because I can keep the ultralight rod and they're rigged up. If I see some panfish or something, I can fish for them. If I see bass busting the surface, I can pick up that heavier rod that has a frog on it or a big swim bait and cast it out. And that will be the first time in a long time I've actually had that option to take multiple rods with me and then have them rigged for different lures, different depths and different fishing situations that make it a little bit easier than having to change out your lure or wish you had the heavier rod to put on a heavier lure. Oh yeah. And I can see Lucy over there rolling her multi circuits on us because, you know, of course you're going to roll your eyes, Lucy, because we're always in between. We want to travel light. We want to, you know, if you've got to walk through the woods or this or that, you only want to have one rod and you probably want a short one at that, or even break down your fly rod and stuff. But like Tim says, you, no matter where you go, you could end up in a situation. I might go to a little Creek to catch a rock bass end up seeing a whole bunch of honking gar in there and wish I had a, had a bigger rod to get after them. So it's kind of like the shore fishing, boat fishing thing we talked about in the last episode. But as I say, you know, I would start out more conservative, just go with the salt rod. However, you are picking up invites to go fishing so much and so often here lately, there's going to come a time, I think, when you're going to be out in the boat a lot, you're going to get to go to that musky destination and you'll have a tackle box clear full of two ounce lures. So you always have that excuse. Come on, Lynn. I had to. I had to buy it. I got invited to go musky fishing. <laughs> what was I supposed to do? Just be glad I only bought one rod. I had three on the counter. I, I put two back. I, I'm a good guy here. That's why it's important to pick your fishing buddies carefully and make sure you take an inventory of their gear before you become friends. You need somebody who has the ice <laughs> fishing gear. You need somebody with musky here you definitely need somebody with a good bass boat so you can just kind of invite yourself along and tag along and use their gear absolutely absolutely all's fair and fishing all right does st croix know that 60 percent of your freshwater rods are made by them plus 100 percent of your ice fishing rods are made by st croix they should send you a t-shirt or something lucy from your lips to st croix's ears i do not have lips but I have an attractive speaker system. Then from your speakers to St. Croix's ears. And send a t-shirt to me and some rods too. I'll update each of your Christmas present wish lists. It's only April and each of you have 14 pages of fishing gear you want. Crappy hippie. You are getting a signal from the fishing lure green feed I created for you. Oh, heck yes, Lucy. You're the best. This app you made me sends us all kinds of news about lead-free and other news regarding green and fishing lures. This one is coming in from Ontario. It's from Emily and John Nigro and their Dead End Lure Company. The Dead End Lure Company. Oh, yeah. I've seen some of their stuff on Instagram. They make spinners and spoons and other classic lures common on the northern fishing scene. Uh, Lucy, why are they lighting up our loon lamp today? They have won a grant to help them improve their company. It's a $5,000 award. The contest was called the Summer 2021 Intake of Starter Company Plus. It was offered through the Peterborough and the Kawarthas Business Advisory Center. The funds were awarded to the contestants based on the strength of their business plan and pitch. You're going to love this, John. It says here that Dead End Lures is a lead-free company, just like Glasswater Angling. All right. Isn't that the coolest? 
wow, looking at this map here, they are located in a real fishy spot. Bob Cajun is located right where the Quartha and Trent Lakes regions of Ontario meet. I mean, they have Sturgeon Lake to the southwest and Pigeon Lake just to the east. Toronto's not far away. What a fabulous place to locate a lure company. I mean, I'm looking at tons and tons of water. The whole region is actually sandwiched between the two great lakes, Lake Huron and Lake Ontario. Oh, I love sandwiches. Tell me more about this, John. Well, <laughs> those great lakes are just the sea-sized waters nearby. Uh, more immediate, there's Lake Simcoe, Lake Cameron, Balsam, Sandy, and the Buckhorn, along with dozens of small and medium-sized ponds and lakes. I mean, lakes, lakes, and more lakes. This makes this Midwestern kid jump for joy to see such a wide choice of fishing holes. So if the Great Lakes are the bread, then all those lakes are like the layers of meat and cheese and sauce oozing out of the bread roll, the barbecue mayo dressing flowing upon one's fingers, a culinary symbol of the spread of lead-free fishing across southern Canada. Tim, I think you need to go to the kitchen. You've crossed threads somewhere between your brain and your stomach. I think you're right, Lucy. Hmm. Double-decker or triple? Munster or Swiss? Beef and ham? Maybe turkey with bacon, too. Okay, well, while Tim is creating his edible testament to living in a lake region, let me go over some of the basics about dead-end lures. Emily and John started the company in 2020, and it wasn't long before Emily quit her day job to work the gig full-time. She was looking for a situation where she could stay home and take care of their newborn son, Leo, as well as have a job which fed her creativity. Emily and John were both dedicated anglers who were drawn to the fishing line. When Emily got into lure building, her fancy took flight and she found, and I quote, that the possibilities are endless when it comes to building spinners and spinner design. Well, Emily, I couldn't agree more since wire baits are my favorite bugs to build too. The couple markets their baits in a variety of ways. They have a website, and we will drop that link in the show notes. They also have their lures in a number of tackle shops in Canada, and one in Wisconsin. And they even sell direct to the public. While a retail space of their own is being discussed, presently the lures are built literally in-house, and then sold at farmers markets in Bob Cajun and Fenelon Falls. Come on, man, don't be rude like that. Talk with your mouth full. It's all right, John. Engaging mouthful of sandwich English translator. Tim said, get to the good part of the story. The good part? Tim said, the part about the colorful, one-of-a-kind lower bodies on their inline spinners. Oh, heck yes, we can't leave that out. One of the coolest things about these baits is that they are made with polished stone body weights. They call them their geo-tackle line. Geo is short for geology. The lure bodies are literally made from minerals, like agate, quartz, and hematite. Hematite, really? Wow, that is fantastic, because we use hematite bodies on our Lil Duke inline spinners. I don't see Lil Duke on your website. Crappy hippie, have you not added them to your catalog? No, afraid not, Lucy. Not yet, anyway. They're still in the prototyping stage. But you know what? I'm just glad to see someone's using stone for lure bodies. I mean, I always thought it would be a super cool lead-free material, especially with inline spinners, which have never really had, you know, a lead dependency the way like leadhead jigs and so forth. Uh, the bodies are made out of a lot of things, and it's always been that way. And with a designer like Emily going after it, it's no wonder there's so many colors and effective blade body combinations in their line. 
an avid fisher herself, she knows what the fish like and she knows what fishers like. And also they do not just do inline spinners, but they have a line of hand poured bismuth jigs, including a tail spin called the Berserker, as well as a line of spoons. Tim said, the geo spinner bodies are each the same, but different in that no two look exactly alike because of the variability of the base materials. Quartz and agate are both known to be colorful rocks, with bands and ribbons of other minerals running through them. Oh, that's totally far out. Now, here's the crazy fun thing about this story. It's the conception of the idea, something you rarely get to know about in lure history unless you're right there on the edge of it. Emily confessed to me that she got the idea for using polystone beads for body weights while in the shower. I mean, you gotta love it. There's no telling what this couple is going to come together and do and give us next. Well, Emily and John are expecting their second child this month. Isn't that exciting? That is so wonderful. And I'll tell you what, we could not be happier. No surprise they're committed to sustainability and environmental awareness. Here's to the next generation. Oh, and Tim, I see you finished your sandwich. Yep, it was right tasty, but I think I need a napkin. More like a beach towel. John, I just read a book that you would really enjoy. It's called Amazing Lures and Flies, Rare and Forgotten Masterpieces of Fishing. It's by Dixon Snyder, who gave me permission to read and share some parts of the book today. All right. So what makes this book so special? In 1997, Dixon created a series of drawings of invented lures and flies for an article for a friend. Dixon's an artist and illustrator, very talented guy. And these were invented lures, not real ones, not lures that ever existed. It was kind of a a tongue-in-cheek spoof of the vintage histories of lures. So after they were published in a small local magazine, the collection and descriptions were taken by Viking Press and turned into a book of fiction. But the funny thing, John, is people often think it's a book of nonfiction. They think these lures were real. Really? I mean, they can't tell the difference? Let me read you a few one-star reviews from Amazon. The reviewers thought Dixon was writing and illustrating real lures and flies. The reviews are pretty funny. Go ahead. I want to hear these reviews. Here's the first one. There are no photographs of the baits, only drawings. One of the baits is nothing more than a painted stick. If somebody gives you a copy, you've overpaid for this book. They aren't real lures, so there obviously aren't any photos of them. Here's another one-star review. This is the absolute worst book I have ever read. Pure junk. I do not believe this person is a fisherman. He claims to be an art teacher. And his knowledge is mostly invented make-believe. These lures, I suspect are mostly from his imagination, and those that are not are very poorly researched. If you are a serious lure fisherman, you will be annoyed if you buy it. Total garbage. But there is one five-star review which was written by me after I read it. Dixon has a dry sense of humor that I found hysterical. What is that lure that is a painted stick? Let me read it to you, John. It's called the ugly stick. And the description says, I found this in my uncle's garage in South Texas. He told me that my great grandfather made a lot of them. The old man just used a stick, a can of fence paint, and a couple of hooks. He even put a spinner on this one. He said the bent stick made it move in the water like a broke grasshopper. My uncle always used store-bought lures and was happy to bequeath me this heirloom. 
And the funny thing, John, is the illustration is of it's just a bent stick that's been painted yellow. It has a single hook in the middle and another one in the rear and a spinner hanging off the front front of it. But what I thought was really funny is, you know, you have the ugly stick fishing rod brand that I had mentioned earlier that I own one. And this lure is called the ugly stick because, in fact, it is an ugly stick. (laughs) The figurative and the literal. So here's another one. This one's called Darwin's Logic. There's nothing subtle about this lure. The first one was carved and assembled by a reporter covering the Scopes Monkey Trial in Dayton, Tennessee in 1925. Big fish eat little fish. And I have to say, when I look at the illustration, it looks a little bit like if you've ever seen the vintage bass and fly lure that was a bass hard crankbait that had a little fly in front of it, like the bass was chasing it. So this illustration shows a larger fish about to eat a smaller fish, thus the name Darwin's logic. So let me continue. Big fish eats little fish. Will the lunker come out to conquer? Another reporter was working on an equally impressive lure called chicken and egg, but was unable to decide on the final arrangement and confounded threw it in the trash can before it could be finished. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> good stuff good stuff you know you know me tim i love my outdoor humorists uh tim beat the most but i've been a ed zern fan and a patrick mcmanus fan and now i'm a fan of this particular book as well yeah i just got the biggest kick out of it here's another one called the electrolic bomber from 1924 the illustration is of a light blue lipless crankbait with two treble hooks and electrodes coming out of the side and here's the description The electrolic effect discovered by Waxman was finally identified and explored in 1925 by Professor Edward Humbert, a consultant to Gordon Company. They quickly created a popular line of electrolic lures, which included this one. The copper and zinc electrodes protruding from the sides created a a virtual vortex of electrolic vibration through the water. Unfortunately for anglers in the South, This lure attracted not only bass, but also quite agitated cottonmouth moccasins. It was immediately banned in several states, and in an overreaction fed by the sensational silent film Snake Madness, which incidentally was produced by the Gordon Company's chief rival, Dudley Sharp Limited, all electronic technology was prohibited under federal law in 1928. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. It sounds a lot like our K. Lure segments, doesn't it? What I love about the book is he has these descriptions down to a T with with these companies that created them. And that's why I could understand if you pick this up thinking that it was nonfiction, you might wonder a a little bit about it. But as you get further into the book, they become more and more improbable. It's it's fantastic. Dick Schneider is a master of parody. I mean, parody is my favorite form of, of comedy, I think, or one of them anyway. Because you have to know your subject so well in order to parody it. And you're exactly right. He has the language. He's done what we do. He's one of us. He's, whether he's in officially or not, he is in the Lure Love Legion because he loves to read the descriptions. He loves to go through the old catalogs. He's been doing this all his life. And boy, it shows. This is this is too fun. And I'll, I'll read you one last lure description. It's actually for two lures called secret weapons and this is the so if you make it through the whole book this is the last one if you don't know this book is a parody after reading this one then you just don't have a sense of humor (laughs) it's called secret weapons the illustration has a fly and a lure 
but they're both blacked out with a black bar to keep them <laughs> secret. And here's what the description says. During the long history of fishing, lures and flies have come and gone. They disappear for one of three main reasons. One, they looked good but didn't work, the most common reason. Two, they worked but were not popular because of some ascetic prejudice or whimsy of the marketplace. Or three, they worked too well and have been banned. <laughs> there was only one example of the third case, the lure and the fly. Developed by the Gordon Company, these two designs are such powerful fish attractors that they would inevitably clean out any body of water. Even if you catch and release, the same fish will hit them again and again until they die of exhaustion and perforation. <laughs> <laughs> what is the secret? We couldn't tell you even if we knew, but apparently the, the principle is the same in both the lure and the fly and is allegedly something remarkably simple. We interviewed the last surviving person with direct knowledge of the devices, Walt Brisbane, who worked in the mailroom at the Gordon Company in 1914 when they were being tested. He remembers that these tests were more like a trip to a fish market than to a stream. The largest fish fought each other to get at these lures. The Gordon Company, realizing their devastating potential, never released the designs. By presidential decree, the company was granted the only non-military secret patent ever awarded by the United States. They were never given market names and will be forever known simply as the lure and the fly. The following pages reveal the only drawings ever made of these devices. Portions have now been declassified. The parts which still cannot be shown are concealed by a black line. We offer them for public view as a caution, trusting that the knowledge that weapons of such awesome power exist will inspire us to be vigilant so that both fish and human will endure. Face it, we need each other. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> it's, a, it's just a great little book. I will drop a, a link in the, uh, in the show notes if people want to pick up a copy, but I'm just so surprised that people didn't like this and, and uh, gave it back reviews. It is a great present for anybody who likes lures or collects them. It's just a little gift book and um, the illustrations are great. And the descriptions are very, very funny. Warning, warning, lure news alert, lure news alert. I recently learned about the world's largest collection of fishing lures. It isn't news, but it was news to me. How many lures was it? 10,000, 20,000? Nope. The world's largest fishing lure collection is 3,563 lures. What? Well, that doesn't seem like very many. The largest collection of fishing lures contains 3,563 items and is owned by Will Spike Yoakum from Carterville, Illinois. The official count by Guinness World Records was on March 20th, 2016. But it's not that many lures. How is that the world record? Because, John... All 3,563 lures were Bill Lewis rattle trap lures. What? What? They were all rattle traps? Now that is a record. Wow, that guy really loves his rattle traps. As the story goes, Spike's grandfather, Fred Washburn, was a grand champion fisherman in 1980 and helped his grandson start the collection. So John must hold the world record for owning the most glass water angling crappy duelers. Very true, Lucy. I will go online and complete the Guinness record paperwork for you. I'll be back in a few minutes. Catchco recently launched the Juggernaut Bass Fishing Case. It's a unique mystery tackle box offering available exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods across the country. 
Each box, which retails for $99.99, also includes a golden ticket that will give customers the opportunity to win a Crestliner XF-189 bass fishing boat, Guggen Squad rods, MTB apparel, and various other prizes. The base price of the Crestliner bass boat is $26,291. Whoa, so it's like a Willy Wonka golden ticket, I guess. Yeah, kind of. I guess it is. Come with me. And you'll be... In a world of all the lore love legion. Take a look. And you'll see. Into the lore love legion. Will one of the golden ticket holders get to own and run Catchco like in the movie? I don't think that's part of the deal, John. All right, all right, okay. I guess I'll just have to live with a new bass boat and all that gear. Just buying the Juggernaut case gives you a lot of gear. The case includes 16 to 22 items from top brands, a tailor-made booklet full of tips, tricks, and instructions to help you snatch more catches, five limited edition fishing decals, because you can never have enough fishing decals, a customized poster. They didn't say what it was, but I'm assuming it's a, a picture of you, John, and your fishing gear down in the stream that's autographed, you know, like those old posters we used to see at, at Spencer Gifts. <laughs> In the 70s. <laughs> and it also has access to a digital bait card so anglers never lose the tips and tricks for the lures in the box. And what about the golden ticket? Each case also includes a golden ticket with a unique promotion code. So customers can visit the website, enter their unique code online to see if they have a winning ticket. The giveaway is open now and runs through August 2022 or while supplies last. Our friends at Louis Lures announced that they've launched their first Louis Lures soft plastic baits. The core shot stick baits and red worms come in a wide range of colors and look fantastic. I think oh. you said red worms. Wait, it's net worms. I, I did say red worm. No, it's oh, net worms. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> All right. Try it again. Louis Lures soft plastic bait launch, take two. Our friends, <clears throat> oh boy, I'm going through puberty again. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> The core shot stick baits and Ned Worms come in a wide range of colors and just look fantastic. We're going to include a link in the show notes. You guys love the Louis Lures core shot plastics. Yes, we do. According to the Fishing Wire, Connecticut resident Dan Radman was fishing a Fire Tiger Rapala Super Shad Rap in a tributary to the Chesapeake Bay. Wait, what? Wait, that's the whole story? Some guy was fishing with a fire tiger rapala super shad wrap. How is that news? People do that all the time. I mean, what's next? Some gal fished with a crappie dealer. Some kids love to fish with a beetle spin. I mean, come on, Tim. I need real news. Not that some guy just fished with such and such a bait or such and such a lure. Okay. I thought it was interesting that he was fishing with a fire tiger rapala super shad wrap. Oh, he did catch a striped bass that measured. 52.5 inches in length and had a 32 inch girth. He released the fish, but experts estimate that the weight was about 67.2 pounds. Well, why didn't you say so? Way to bury the lead there, brother. Now that is a new story. He also caught three more stripers over 35 pounds on the same day, plus some smaller fish. Holy mackerel. John, he was fishing with a fire tiger, Rapala Super Shad Rap. Not a live mackerel, or even a mackerel pattern lore. 
In other non-macro-related news, our friends at Al's Goldfish Lure Company unveiled a new limited edition, commemorative fishing lure designed to celebrate its flagship lure, and how the legacy of Al's began 70 years ago. The new sleek and flashy, two-tone goldfish lures are available in 3 sixteenths of an ounce, one quarter of an ounce, and half an ounce weights. They will be available throughout 2022. Customers have often asked about a two-tone goldfish, and now they have a new one. It comes in black nickel, with a 22-carat gold-striped plate on top. These limited-edition lures will be available exclusively online at alsgoldfish.com. Be sure to get yours before they are gone. And finally, our story about the lures that have caught the most record fish was covered across the United States, with articles appearing in newspapers and websites, including the Duluth, Minnesota News Tribune, the Norman, Oklahoma Transcript, and the Colorado Springs Gazette. Thanks to outdoor writer John Myers for covering our story. If you can make it in Duluth, you can make it anywhere. The same could be said for Norman, Oklahoma. Colorado Springs isn't too shabby either. We're just thrilled that our fine editorial skills are being recognized. Well, I did all the research, so I'm not surprised at all. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of the Lure Love Podcast. Don't forget to enter our monthly Glasswater Angling Lure giveaway by subscribing to our free e-newsletter at www.lurelovepodcast.com. And don't forget the Lure Love motto, why buy one fishing lure when you can buy 103? Lure Love, you've been on my mind. Never enough lures to tie to the end of my line. Lure love, can't I make you see? Why buy five lures and you can buy a hundred?